Welcome to the Payments Podium Podcast, hosted by the payments professor himself, Kevin Olson. This podcast discusses the past, present, and the possibilities of the payments industry. Here's the show. Hey, everybody. Payments professor here, and I want to welcome everybody back to the Payments Podium. In fact, on today's Payments Podium, we're going to have, you know, we're going to continue that discussion of what's happening in the world of financial institutions, innovations. We've talked about it on a lot of different episodes, but today I've got Larry Selnick with me, and he's going to be discussing some of the things that he's seeing. He's going to help us with some of the things that he's been participating in. And you're probably wondering, who is he? So, Larry, would you introduce yourself to everybody, please? Hey, Kevin. Thank you. Hello, all. So I'm a uh, recovering banker. I spent 41 years in the banking business, operations, product, and ending in treasury management, including the business development cycle. So I just retired from full time from an organization that I helped start at 2 billion, a little under, and now they were at 30 and growing and life is good for them. And it was a great organization. So now I've hung my own hat out there, uh, known as Vulcan Advisors. I'm a principal at the Vulcan Advisors Group. And I like to talk about payments and I like to talk about treasury management among other activities. So good to be with you, Kevin. Of recovering banker. Now that that's that's a great term, and I hear you know Vulcan advisors. So I know you're out there still doing some work and working with different people. And I know that you're doing a lot of work too when it comes to helping bankers that haven't got to that point of recovery yet of, of what they can do to be able to really be. What, what would you call it? Is it more influential in working in treasury management? Is it more influential in working with even businesses that are out there nowadays? I mean. We know that the industry is constantly changing. We know that we got to be innovative. What are the things that you're seeing that are different and new or where people should be looking? I would tell you, I spend most of my time helping FIs think about how to partner with fintechs. So I think a lot of us who have been in this space a long time, you know, whether you've gone to Money 2020 or you're active in some trade association, whether it's AFP or in my case, New England ACH, a regional processing association, you met a lot of fintechs who said, I can do that faster, better, cheaper, and they can, but sometimes they didn't quite understand the requirements that an FI had uh, for regulatory oversight or how the banking relationships went between, say, for example, between a business banker and a treasury management person, or they said, we don't need a bank, we can do this on their own. And you kind of scratch your head and said, at the end of the day, that transaction is going to go through a bank. And you can either partner with us or not partner with us. You can compete with us or, or you can find ways where the synergy. So I look for relationships with fintechs that want to partner with FIs. And I help some FIs as they think about treasury and how they can differentiate themselves in the marketplace, where I can help put people together or think about the possibilities. And sometimes that comes from just connections I have or research that I do. And that's where most of the focus is. It's it's a very exciting time because smaller FIs are always looking for, how do I compete against the largest institutions with significant investment dollars? And you can't compete on all fronts, but you can find those little niches where you can make a difference in your local marketplace. And that's where the fun is. So am I understanding you correctly then, financial institutions, especially the smaller ones, even the medium-sized ones, they actually do want to work with the fintechs and not compete against them, but there's there's some synergies that could be there where they can work together. 
And if I'm right too, uh, a lot of that comes down to that the fintechs don't get the regulatory side of things. I've experienced that where they say, hey, we can do that. Well, you may be able to do that, but can you do it within the regulations and keep us in compliance? Are, are you experiencing that as well? All the time. In, in fact, that's where the where the fintechs are starting to do is look for recovering bankers to help them communicate what they're offering to an FI in a language that will sound and resonate with the FI. So they are, they're going to talk to you about using AI or data or, you know, how we can, how we've mapped to the APIs and that's really great stuff and it's skill and they're very fast and they're very adaptable, but that may or may not resonate with somebody who will say, well, how am I going to calculate my, you know, ROI or how am I going to, you know, differentiate myself in the marketplace or how do I price this or those conversations sometimes needs somebody in the middle to translate and that's what i get to do and it works out really well but and it gives me a chance to hear different thoughts and questions on both sides of the table which is what i'm seeing and why we're here talking today based on that one article i shared with you well you, you okay bringing up that article th that is an example of where innovation is taking place that is an example of a financial institution working with a fintech and finding success and i'd even say doing things differently could, could you enlighten the listeners a little bit and give an explanation of, of what is really actually happening in this particular instance. Yeah, that was a great article on cash flow forecasting. So let's talk a little bit about those of us who've been in treasury management and to some degree, those of you who are focusing on the lending activity, you're always talking about the cash flow forecast. You know, how are you going to manage to your short term liquidity things under 30 days where you need to have cash on hand or your longer term rolling liquidity, you know, how am I gonna make sure I have money for that loan payment or for that payroll file? And we all talk about it. And we all talk to customers about, well, you know, if you can convert check issuance to ACH, you can manage your timing of outflows. If you, you know, create an online portal, you can manage the, you know, you can increase the speed of receiving receivables and manage down DSO, or if you use a purchase card or accept card, we have all of these products and services that we talk to that do in fact help cash flow forecasting, but we don't help them with cash flow forecasting. So two different ways to think about that. When you start talking to business customers, you start to realize most of them can't afford to build their own big forecasting database tools. Those are the very it's, large corporates that are doing that. If they're even doing that, if they've figured it out, what they really are doing is probably using Excel. And they're building their little tools and says, okay, you know, what? What do you do when you get up in the morning? You go to your bank accounts and you say, okay, what's my cash in my account? All right, is that right? Does that look, oh, there's a surprise. And then you start, okay, what do I got going on today? And what do I have going? And they start building their what if models on Excel spreadsheets. And that's good that they do that. But then that's one person or one group within a company that may not be connected to another group that says, oh, I have an opportunity to take a trade discount. Let me throw, you know, let me pay that thing right now. All of a sudden, the cash flow forecast went out the window. So, cash flow forecasting is is a mindset. It's a cultural process. And if you read, um, you know, the literature in CFO Magazine or CFO Dive or other AFP, it's a mindset to think about coordinating people to understand what your cash position is today and forecasting out. 
And then there are tools out there and most of them are Excel or maybe you have a piece of software that does some of it or can do part of it. But at the end of the day, the bank doesn't really help in that. We give them the balance position. Uh, we may tell them what's coming in their, you know, controlled disbursement file that'll post uh -huh. tonight. We may give them information, you know, today's lockbox posting is, but we're really not helping them per se to do that forecast. So, so let me give you, a, a, you know, a, two little uh, stories, you know, Building a cash position worksheet is great. It says, okay, here's the you know, here's the aggregation of all your accounts today. And if the customer says, well, I know I have some future dated ACH and I have some pending, you know, you know, in clearings, and I have, I know I've got this future dated wire. Why can't you update that for me and give that for me? Oh, right. you can just go to go to the screen and data enter it. Or you know, I have more. Wait, wait, wait. So, account. so you they ask for it, and then they get told you need to go enter it yourself. Is that what you're saying? Is, is actually Sometimes. happening in some cases? In some cases, okay. And but here's the funny thing: um, was online looking at another financial institution had a great cash position worksheet that had a lot of the here's the different things you can put in there. And it said, and here, data enter accounts at your other financial institutions. Because let's be real, we know customers have accounts at multiple banks for a variety of good reasons. So now you want me to data enter that again. Mm. So, and I said to the person I was talking to about this, this online tool, I said, this is a great tool. Why are they looking to change it? Well, customers don't like it. And I pondered that and I realized because they have to read data enter what they already have someplace else that they're probably working on a spreadsheet that they're doing already because um, they may or may not be using multi-bank reporting or whatever other tool we have that requires IT and expense and all that activity. So what the American Banker article was, which I share with you and helps set the stage for today's conversation was fintechs. And this article talked about two specific fintechs have said, you know, where is all of this data? This data is sitting at the customer's general ledger system, accounting systems. So the customer has all this data, but mm -hmm. what, what the problem really is the customer has this data. They're not using the data effectively themselves. And to be able to use it, they're having to manually do processes in multiple locations. Yeah, if, if they're even thinking about working together to gather all that data. Okay. So now there is this fintechs, two of them, who are both building models to work with financial institutions that says, we will provide this tool. This is a key word. We're going to provide this tool that's going to look at your customer's data and do the cash flow reporting and the what if analysis right from their data that they have and make the what if data entry, they would have done it anyhow. What if I hire this person in two weeks? What if I buy this piece of machinery in a month? You know, do the what if, and then look at the customer's uh, cash position and help them do their forecast. But so this really is kind of cool, like a crystal ball of your cash management system, right? It really is very, very effective. Still allows the financial institutions to partner with the FinTech to the customer and say, we can give you some services that can improve your cash flow optimization, help you with that cash flow forecasting or cash conversion cycle. But the customer can work on that and see it. And what I like best about these tools 
they're on a device. Sorry about my camera. You mean just on a smartphone? You, you, you can it's carry them right around, you can access it anywhere you're at? That's like so 2020, uh, but here we are in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> and the, you know, one of the providers actually showed me how they do the connection to the clients, uh, in this case, QuickBooks. It took about three minutes. Wow. You're not, you're not doing a major download to a, a laptop. You are building, they're using the tools of the APIs and data analytics and working with the standard uh, systems out there like a QuickBooks kind of file format. And they're presenting the data in such a way that on a mobile device, you can see it and you can do your cash flow forecast. That is very cool. So, okay, if I'm getting you right, you're basically saying that there are fintechs out there that financial institutions can partner with that will mm -hmm. provide this crystal ball look into what they're doing. And the great part about it is it's a win all around. It's a win for the fintech because they're able to provide their service. I'm sure they get something out of it. It's a win for the uh, uh, business because they're able to see deeper into their cash forecasting. They're able to know the what if scenarios. But I think the big thing I picked up on you mentioned there is that financial institution is then able to say, hey, based off of what you're looking at, based off of what you're wanting to do, how about we offer you these additional services or these additional products? Is that is that basically what's happening there? Correct and something else. So let, let's, let's give you the kudos on the correct. You have data about your customer transactions uh -huh. that allows you to provide targeted cross-sales, which every financial institution is looking to say, hey, I think we would like to offer you this. And we can see that you need it as opposed to just throwing anything that you can think about that you haven't sold somebody in a while. So that's a very positive. And let me just put a little uh, important footnote. Customer privacy is very important. Agreed. That decision to know about what your customer is doing and might need, the opt-in capability at the customer level is important. So the customer may say, I'm opting in. I want you to tell my bank that gave me this software uh, that I have this issue. Okay. And you can either do it proactively or you can opt in and says, hey, if something pops up, let them call me versus now I get a dialogue box that says, hey, you're going to be short cash you want to have somebody call you about that? There you go. And then you say yes in the call. So I think that's a very important factor given our focus as an industry on customer privacy and uh, data integrity together. But the other thing that's really in my mind that I've shared with my conversations with, with one of the providers out there is you really have a chance to help customers help themselves by educating them on cash flow forecasting. And I'm not talking about, you know, the fact that they need to know what their cash is, but it's talking about, you know, you need to do that. Let's talk to you about how you might do it in terms of making it a cultural community, organizational wide activity. And it might be, you know, communicating between folks in different departments. It may be creating um, metrics or KPIs, if that's a term you like, and that everyone shares and rewards and says, hey, if we collectively can reduce day, day, sales, day sales outstanding, he tried to say, we all get rewarded for that. It's not just you know this one group responsible for it. We as an organization, as a financial organization, if we can help them understand 
they have this tool, but there's also this education about how they can improve their business in addition to just trying to cross sell them services that they need, which is a good thing. Now we become truly value add and get paid and make your customer happy and retain that relationship. That's what I think the power of the partnership is. Let the banks do what they do best, which is financial services and maintain relationships. Let the FinTech do what they do best, which is product development, very fast product life cycle and use their technical skills to take advantage of the new technology out there to provide that data in a very short timeline. You know, I'd have to add to let that business customer do what they do best too, and not have to be so worried about the cash management, about the cash forecasting, because I'm pretty sure like we go back to, hey, it's on a mobile device and you mentioned QuickBooks, some of these businesses that would benefit from something like this the most, innovations like this, are those really small ones that maybe they're not strong in cash management. Maybe they are more reliant on a fintech or on the bank to be able to help them because it's not something they get and they could then go focus on their own business. So I love that. You know, Kevin, you're spot on. The, the many conversations I've had about this is, well, what's the target client that could use this? And I go, all of them. The very small businesses don't have the teams and the departments and may not have the time to think about this. But if it's on a mobile device that gives them the information in a quick snapshot and they think about something says, well, what if I do this? And they get an instantaneous answer, that's going to get adopted. But when you start thinking about your 20, 40, $75 million sales size companies, you think they're spending a million dollars in proprietary software to do cash flow forecasting and variance analysis, or have even thought about the accounts payable and the accounts receivable departments? Have, are they making them talk to each other? Do they have a CFO, a treasurer, and a controller? Probably not, or maybe they do, but they're in their different. You as the finance institution have the opportunity to talk to every business customer at every size about this mindset. Maybe not the Fortune 500s, but the Fortune 500s are talking to you at a very different level and different need. That's okay, but they still need a tool like this. And who knows? They may have subsidiaries or other units that need to think about it. Well, you know what point. pops out to me too is we mentioned the smaller financial institution, you know, your smaller community banks, especially that are working so hard to be able to provide services for people that may not even know they're out there. This gives them an opportunity to be that relationship. And because they are that smaller institution, they can have the stronger relationship sometimes because they are there in your community. Well, you know, you made this great point earlier about how let the businesses do what they do best. And mm -hmm. they understand the power of their relationship with their, with their banker. Mm -hmm. They understand how important it is for them to run their business well, so that when they do need working capital, when they do need uh, capital acquisition, they have the data that substantiates this. And so this tool allows them to go to their banker and say, this is what I've been trending. This is what I can do. This is what I think it's going to be. It can help them in that process so they can understand. What you don't want to have is um, using up short-term cash without realizing that something else was occurring. And now you have to draw against a line that prevents you from using it for where you expect to deploy it. Now you're getting a call about, you know, why are you at full utilization and what's going on with your business? And really what you're saying is, I didn't manage it very well. Right. As opposed to, here's what I think I'm doing. Here's what I'm working on. 
So I think it allows a communication to occur both directions. And think about your level of, I think, trust is a word I would use, or at least uh, um, confidence to go back to your banker said, this tool has helped me run my business. You care about me. I'm going to care enough to share with you what I'm thinking I'm doing. So I think this is just Larry speaking. I think, you know, you know, do I see financial institutions charging for this? Probably not. Some may. I think of ATM transactions. You're going to, then you're not. But maybe you use this as a way of for those high value long-term relationships, however you want to define that, this is something that you get as a value add, or maybe it's part of an acquisition strategy. As many different FIs are out there, it's going to be different approaches to how this is used and priced. So it, I think I think you're going to see, I bet you, I know of two fintechs, there may be more, maybe after this, others will jump in there, because it's, what do fintechs do best? They look for pain points, and they look for where banks can invest into that pain point. Let me provide a solution that it'll get funded and build the business. And I, I think we'll see more of this coming uh, sooner than later, for sure. And what do the financial institutions do best? Handle the transactions and move the money around, right? Provide those services. And, and, and as we've said too, and what can we do for the business? Let them do what they do best. So this is, it's not just a win-win, it's a win-win-win situation, definitely, right? <laughs> I love it. I think so. And that's just really just one innovation. I mean, I know there are so many others out there too, but it's amazing how time just starts flying by when you start having some of these conversations. And I would encourage everybody to go out there. There's an American Banker article that discusses what is happening as far as the world of innovation. But Larry, one of the things I got to ask you on the payments podium, and, and this is you know where I usually surprise people with the, the, the question is, you have been highly successful in your career. And I, I've known you for years now and have seen a lot of the things you've done in, over your career, participating in different groups and different organizations. And I know you're somebody who likes to give back and help out others. So what I wanted to know now is, you know, just to go off to a total different topic, but in the payments professor, we always ask, what would you tell people who are looking to be successful in the financial sector, in electronic payments, even in this case, treasury management or fintechs, what advice would you give them to say, this is what you should do to be able to be successful in your career? Maybe even something that you did. So two things popped into my head right away. Uh, the first is if you see the value of the certified treasury professional designation offered by the AFP, I'm a big fan of the CTP even if you are not in a business, but if you are supporting somebody who's supporting somebody who's dealing with business customers, understanding what's happening in the business world, I think has great value and opens your eyes to uh, why you may do that. I mean, a quick little side story. I had a friend who worked for a technology development company uh, who was focusing on real-time payments and they had all these developers and they were brilliant and they were doing great stuff. And I got asked to come in to do a presentation on fraud awareness. And you're like, why am I doing it? Because the programmers had no banking experience and had no idea what it was like dealing with their customer, with their customers' clients. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was really the more you can talk about being in that business customer's shoes, the better. The other thing that jumps to mind is the AAP. And, and maybe taking the exam is, is not where your head is at, but being involved in some local trade association, RPA to learn about payments. 
And what's, you know, I, I think of, uh, of, of the regional processing associations, they don't just talk about ACH anymore, even though that's their forte, but they start talking, they're still talking about checks because people are still using them, but they're into RDP and they understand wire. I, I think you have to, you know, find ways to keep yourself continuous, continuously educated on the ever-changing world of payments and frankly being a member of a ctp or aap trade organization will help you um, just get that information translated to you in, in language and application uh, that you, you would get that that was the first thing depending where you are in in your career uh, internships Ooh, internships or, that's a uh, great one so um there are not many uh, colleges and universities in, in the US that offer classes on the essentials of treasury management. But if you're an FI looking to build uh, your future bank, bank strength, sponsor some internships. If you are a business customer um, and you're looking to create bench strength in your organization, you know, you know do an internship on a lo local college and, and challenge them as part of the internship to, you know, search out uh, payment activities and translate what they're seeing in some of these fintechs to your business model. Uh, interns have great uh, skills and resources, so it might be worth doing. So I'm a big fan of uh, working with colleges and universities and full transparency. I'm a part-time adjunct professor who once created an internship program. So I've seen them work and I've seen them thrive and the students uh, really become uh, watching them become business people and stay in touch with you on LinkedIn is really fulfilling and rewarding. Okay. You actually gave a whole lot of advice right there. Cause you mentioned, you know, get some certification. I'm, I'm a fan of the certification too. The CTP, the AAP, there's the NCP, there's the APRP. You can come up with all kinds of different letters, get them behind your name though, because that's huge. And I hear people say too, if you know, you want more zeros on your paycheck, get more letters after your name. That's just a, a fact. And then get the education, stay up to date and get the education. You also mentioned join your trade associations. Some of these trade associations you can join as an individual. You don't have to go through an organization. You can actually join as an individual. It differs depending on where you are, but the internships, I don't know if I've heard that one on the payments professor before, but I do love that idea. I do know that, you know, volunteering sometimes where you're there because you want to be is where you will learn the most. And you're there Absolutely. because you can be instead of just, you know, people, oh, I got to do this work. No, you get the opportunity. You don't have to do it. You get the opportunity and you get to take advantage of the opportunity. And I'm so glad that you took advantage of the opportunity to be on the payments podium today, Larry. I do appreciate it. For the rest of you out there, if there is a topic you would like to have addressed on the payments podium, if there's somebody you think needs to be on the payments podium, of course, you can always email me, Kevin at paymentsrefresser.com. I will do my best to make sure that we get an expert in the field, experts like Larry with Vulcan Advisors. If you're looking for an advisor in treasury management, he'll be there to be able to help you. Need more information on him? Get with me. He mentioned LinkedIn. I think you'll be able to find him on LinkedIn too. You can also follow me on LinkedIn, but I got to say for now, class dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Payments Podium Podcast. Check back every Thursday for a conversation with the Payments Professor. This podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Olson and edited by Sam Sue Smith. See you on Thursday.